happened to me, oddly enough. You, you get so into the older versions of the programs that you have, and the new one's just nothing like it. It's true. Just like this week, it's nothing like last week was. It's true, because uh, I was actually <laughs> on my way back from New Orleans, and I was listening to your Friday episode, and, and I, I felt as if something was missing from the show, so I said, okay... I'll uh, I'll come back and we'll do a Monday episode together. What are you saying? Something was missing from Friday that it was uh, somehow somehow subpar? No, not at all. I'm just saying I was missing. I wasn't there. Yeah, I'm still here. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it's Zach. We're in Monday. Zach, Zach is going to officially welcome you to the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt this conversation to bring you another conversation. The one between us hosts and you listeners. That's not really the proper order to put things. Well, it's good to have you back, Micah. I know that we had a, a very long weekend and that you had a very long weekend hiding things underneath flower beds and, <laughs> and lumps of soil. Yes, uh, something like that. Uh, but uh, I'm happy to be back. Like I said, I'm looking forward to a full week of uh, podcasting and uh, I'm ready to go wrap up a Clash of Kings and move on to what... Uh, is in our future, which could be a storm of swords, could be a number of other things. We'll see. Don't shortchange the brand chapter again. <laughs> We're not. We won't be wrapped wrapping up the book on today's episode. No, there but is this still week, one more chapter after it. Right. We do plan to wrap up the book this week. Yeah. Unless anything like really drastic happens, we're definitely going to be wrapping up a Clash of Kings this week, which to me is just daunting. Thinking about what's what's ahead, and I was just looking at the chapter breakdowns. And do you guys remember when we were looking at the very beginning of those and those chapters and assembling those episodes? And you're like, oh, this this is happening here. Oh, Brienne's doing this here. But now we're at the very end, and it's cold. It is. It is indeed. And I just remember being at the beginning, going, 80 chapters. Whoa! How are we going to do this? How did we do it the first time? I don't remember. I have all of season three behind us. Where's my mom? Where's my mother? Yes, exactly. All of those things. But now it feels like we are two-fifths of the way through the existing publications of George R. R. Martin's Thrones saga. And, you know, I, I feel a little bit uh, more comfortable in this world. Well, you're more knowledgeable now. That's at least the hope, right? Is that you know, having read through the first two books and clearly not everything made its way into the TV show. How could it? Uh, there are things that you know and plot lines that may have advanced even in this book that uh, haven't in the series or there are just things that have taken place, information that you have insight to now that maybe you uh, didn't necessarily get while watching seasons one and two or even three. I know we'll do a recap uh, of the whole book you know, once we're finished with these chapters, but I think you know, going off of what you were just saying – the thing that stands out the most is the fact that Jon Snow can talk to animals and shit, um, that he's a warg, and that has been completely left out of the show. And yet again in this chapter, which we are reading today, Jon Snow, second to last chapter of the book, uh, he's, you know, uh, confronted with this reality, that that is something that he can do. And um, so I continue to be shocked that that has not made its way, that that has not trickled uh, into the show uh, at this point. But so little things like that, you know now, and uh, having read the books and can kind of look forward to, like I did everything I possibly could to prevent myself from being spoiled, you know, to future events. But when you have a plot point from book two that isn't yet in, like, at the end of season three, 
what are you going to do? You're going to have to run into that. So that that to me is, is is something to look forward to. It's a little treat. Being part of the unsullied audience that survives and coincides with the world today, we don't know the same things that you guys know going into the show. You're always like, I can't wait until I see how they do this because that's cool. So on the flip side, we sort of have that same experience while reading the books. And it's not only John. We see that Arya has a similar capability. So it really seems like for the most part, any one of the Starks, even John, uh, who has had this bond created uh, with their direwolf can actually warg uh, into them and or at least have some sort of supernatural type of connection. And Sansa has a magical hairnet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure how that fits in, but uh, for Liar. John, it's, <laughs> you know uh, exactly how it fits in. <laughs> it's even mentioned in this chapter that we're uh, going to start talking about by Corrin Halfhand that you know the, the fact that. You know, the old ways are sort of coming back. There, there's something in the air, not the Phil Collins song, but <laughs> <laughs> and it's not the comet. You realize we've gone this whole book without another word on the comet. Yeah, it's, it's like just the TV kind of, show. It kind of yeah. fades. It's that, it's that <laughs> ominous thing in the sky. It's, it's some see it as Vector an omen looming. Yeah. yeah, and then it's and then it's gone. It, but Zach brought up the great point, and I think it was even when we were going through season two on the show when it was airing and it was that one unifying factor. I remember you bringing up that point and how cool it was that no matter right. where you were in this world, whether you were beyond the wall, whether you were with Danny, whether you were in King's Landing, there was this one thing that every, all these characters were experiencing and it kind of tied everyone together. Yeah. So that was a great point. Yeah. I mean, I'll still be sad if they don't mention at least once in the next and the final in the brand chapter. Um, or maybe it gets like a eulogy in the appendix. I'm not sure yet. So let's talk about this John chapter. Yes. A little bit. Very different from the show, I think. And just another one of those examples where not everything's able to translate perfectly over to screen. I thought Corin did an amazing job letting John know throughout, not just in this chapter, but in the chapters before, you get that sense that he was formulating this plan in his mind he knew what the end game was going to be and you know you have to not not to jump the gun here but you almost have to give him the own of the chapter because this man just oh, he he exemplified everything that he stood for and everything that the night's watch stands for right and because he dies you get more sympathetic towards him but I, that doesn't make his own any less strong. I think he does, in fact, own. He tells John what to do, and in the show, it seemed more like John bumbled into his whole betrayal thing. At least from what I'm recalling, right. it just it it really didn't seem like he had a plan. Whereas in the books, Corrin orders John to you know do what the wildlings bid because it gives him an in. And just going back to previous John chapters, you know, I was very harsh. Uh, for John letting Egret live, I called him stupid and another of other kindergarten names. But it really, uh, in this particular poopy case, face, poopy face. I think I called him that. It's it's all in one of the previous episodes. <laughs> but um, you know, it gave him an in, in in this case or an out for not being killed um, because they are being tracked by this eagle who just does not let up, and we find out why. Uh, also in this chapter, unexpected, un totally unexpected. This eagle, they can't outrun, and they split up. They had like six men, and three of them went one way, three of them went the other. 
They lost one guy, another guy had to go off. Stone Snake, I think it is, has to go off into the mountains alone. They're trying to throw the wildlings off their trail, but they're not succeeding. And when it came down to the time where John and uh, Corrin are going to be attacked, the odds were, I think, 14 to 2. Corrin had formulated this plan that basically hinged on the fact that uh, Ygritte would be with this group, which is lucky. I mean, it certainly seemed that her presence there helped to allow John to yield the way he wanted to. But ultimately, the plan for John yielding came from Corrin and was a good one and really seems to have given John this great opportunity for spying. His senses, you know, when he sends Stone Snake off to go back and find the Lord Commander and tell him what's going on, he says specifically, aside from Tell him that the old powers are waking, that he faces giants and wargs, and worse. Tell him that the trees have eyes again. And it it just makes you wonder what Corrin has experienced in his life and what he's seen that that he would believe in this sort of thing. Because we're talking about the end of a drought, right? Um, None of these men supposedly saw anything unusual the last thousands of years. Um, But Corrin's a believer, and Mormont, he knows, the Lord Commander has to be a believer because he's charged with protecting the realm. Right. I mean, I like how he says, tell him what John saw and how he saw it as well. You know, the news that John is a warg is supposed to get out. But the wildlings already know. The wildlings already know that he's a warg. You know, what What did you think about, um, you know, the fact that they're building this fire? It, it's, it's almost as if it represents... Corrin's life in a way you know I thought there was a lot of symbolism same thing with them walking through the freezing waterfall uh it's almost like in a weird way John was cleansing himself of everything before he goes and uh faces the uh the wildlings but it's weird to see somebody like Corrin who we know to be this especially even when he comes up and and it comes face to face with the wildlings you know they're very fearful of him they his reputation certainly precedes him and, you know, the fact that he almost gives up in a sense by creating this fire, he knows that they're going to see it and he knows that they're going to track them that much easier. Uh, so I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, but I guess they got to the point where they really didn't have much choice. Right. It just so happened that they, you know, were within reach of this cave or this, you know, wall where Corin knew that it would be a, a defensible spot. And so it would be a great place to make a last stand. And as we see, he had this plan in mind for clearly some time. He was uh, not allowing John to ride off when the men split up. He kept John by his side and said, no, he's got other duties. And it turns out that the other duties, you know, involved Corrin's death and involve figuring out what the wildlings are looking for. Yeah, the whole plan of all this is to infiltrate the wildling camp. And so Corrin being a sacrifice, knowing that it's probably going to take something like this to convince Mance, maybe not the rest of the wildlings, because obviously from this chapter we can see that they're clearly a pretty ragtag bunch. When we meet the Lord of Bones, it's not clear that John's really even going to be let out. You know, right. until Igrit comes to his defense, we're kind of just wondering whether this shit is just happening in vain. But I feel like the show did a much better job of showing more of a a believable act, less planned in a way. Less Almost so obviously staged, right? 
in the book, he was just like, all right, John, are you ready? All right, go for it. Tell him. And he's like, oh, we yield. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, you yield, you bastard who yields. Like, no man <laughs> of the wall would ever yield. And he's like, well, you, we yield too. And he's like, ah, oh, you all could yield. Throat sliced in the next five lines, right? It's It's quick, too. I mean, I agree with you. I thought in the show the actual action scene that takes place is a lot better. You know, they're, they're tied up, they're walking along behind the wildlings and they just start to fight each other. And, you know, he, he gives them a nice clean kill. Whereas in the book, it's just like, oh, his throat gets slashed open. He falls over. Ghost, uh, you know, jumped in at some point. And, yeah. You know, they, and they even use that as an excuse, uh, to say that's why John was able to defeat Corn was because he had his dire wolf jump in there. And then what the hell's up with Ghost? He goes in to have some, uh, you know, <laughs> Night's Watch puppy chow after the fact. It's, it's, mm, delicious. it's cold, man. It's There's no eating over there. Yeah, I guess. The story was structured and the action and the dialogue was structured in that scene, whereas it would get to the point quickly. Then they start yelling. Like I love how in the show, basically, Corrin starts yelling the second after they agree to what's going to happen. He's like, all right, ready? Yeah! And just Your mother yelling. was a whore! Yeah, now we'll fight, you stinky, stinky person. And they're like, oh, well, you're smelly. But in the book here... I think that George was painting a situation where we would have suspense, not knowing what Rattleshirt's going to do, not knowing how Corrin will actually react to what John said, because Corrin didn't tell him to shout that they yield. So I thought for a moment, he's like, yield, you bastard. Like, the plan's dropped. You're such a wuss. You know, I can't believe we, we found this this alcove and everything in this frozen water pole, and this is what's going to happen. But it's it's sad that it, it happened this way, but Corrin was right. This is pretty much the only way that he'd be able to infiltrate and find out what they need to know and i think that he knows that's worth more than one life yeah yeah there's a line here um he says it's when he first commands john he says uh our honor means no more than our lives so long as the realm is safe are you man of the night's watch and so it's yes i will sacrifice my life for this um and you'll sacrifice your honor but in the end we're gonna have a tactical advantage here because in your heart you gotta stay one of us yeah, and that's really the key. And before John knew that Corin was going to be sacrificing his life, he thought they were just heading home because that's what Corin said to him. He right. was like, "All right, we're heading back. This is a good way that I know." So, in John's mind, when he has to agree to all this, I remember the first thing he asked Corin was like, "By the way, uh, will you be sure to tell Old Bear and everybody else that I'm not really a betrayer? Like, I I'm not an oath breaker." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. First time I see him, I will." How long do you think Corin has had this plan in the back of his mind? Because he knew about John's abilities before they left, uh, you know, the fist of the first men. And so, you know, he, he lets him come along for a reason. And I think he realizes that John could be the key to really figuring out what is going on with Mance Raider and that he's possibly the best option that they have should a situation like this occur. And I, I feel like Corin, you know, started formulating a lot of this in his mind well before, you know, they started losing men and the Eagle showed up. I feel as if, you know, he he's a smart guy and, and he could potentially have foreseen a lot of what was going to happen. And he had no trou trouble really sacrificing himself well in advance of it actually happening. Yeah, I think that he always had a good idea uh, that he wanted this plan to take place. But once he met John at the Fist and kind of made that decision moving on from there, I think it was pretty clear. Part of what makes the surrender believable um, is are these would seem to be they're so cool that they have to be pre rehearsed lines, right? Like, I was warned that bastard blood is craven, you know, all this stuff that he says to John. And I think, though, it does go along with what you guys were saying about how much the wildlings fear 
Quarren Halfhand, that they really, even though it's 14 to 2, they don't really want to engage him uh, at this strategic, you know, location. They don't want to lose some of their men. And really, John's surrender is, they're hoping for it. They're just like, wow, they're happy to receive it. It's such a gift, really, versus the potential for loss. Yeah. Which I really think they really could have made a dent at the very least in those wildlings and maybe still yielded. You know, at least John, but uh, I, I don't know. You just have to kind of question, well, would they believe John as much if they had engaged in some bloodshed first, killed a few of them, and then said, I yield? It's like less uh, committed, you know, yeah. to, to, the, to the cause. It's more to committed to your sa- saving your own skin versus I am disenchanted with the crows. I think that he, he was committed at that point, though. You know, the, the second that they walked out there, and, you know, they didn't try and go and really set up any sort of defense. He knew how this was all going to play out. And he, like I said, committed at that point. You know, there was no, there was no turning back because the reality is you think about John, you think about Corin, you think about Ghost. You know, those are three very formidable, uh, opponents to have to take on. I don't care what wildling you are, you know, what, yeah. what, what your nickname is. You can see like he, <laughs> he was, afraid, all of them were afraid for the most part. And, you know, the Eagle isn't going to do a whole lot of anything. Uh, you got a couple of hounds there, right? Eight hounds, something like that, yeah. which would be puppy chow for a uh, ghost. And right. then ghost can actually engage in, in, you know, taking on some of the wildlings himself. So, you know, the archers were probably the ones that would cause the most concern. Uh, but uh, I think that, you know, it would have been a pretty interesting fight had it happened. And, and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, said, you said make a dent, but I could almost argue uh, that they, they, they would come out victorious, maybe with a few injuries. He he knew going in. There's, yeah. no, there's no two ways about it that this is how he wanted it to play out. He didn't want there to be a battle. John is now in the uh, company of uh, Egret and all the wildlings and... I don't think anybody except uh, Ygritte like her, like him, I should say, right now. Well, they all know his lineage, which I I just thought, she man. She couldn't I, help shouting. Yeah, she <laughs> – I don't know if that's going to work to his advantage or not. I think maybe it will because uh, Mance might find it amusing. But uh, beyond that, it's – I don't know. It's just it's, – it's, it makes him – it makes it seem like John is naked when your enemies know who you are what your lineage is, which in that world is everything. Uh, it, it makes it seem like they've got your clothing, you know, and they could use it if they, depending on if they like your family or not, is if they like you or not. It's very, it's something to consider that we don't necessarily have to live with day to day here. And I think that's really it for the chapter. I, I know it ends on a, uh, Mance is on the move at this point. <laughs> right. He is not stationary. He's like, I'm tired of these mountains, Egret. Will we be going back over the mountains? And she says, no. Mance is uh, probably climbing your wall as we speak. What a way to leave the chapter, right? <laughs> well, good way to end the book. I mean, uh, you know, it's so hard because we obviously – we've seen season three and, and I've read ahead. and But, you know, it's almost like you go back and you think about it with Potter because that's what a lot of us grew up with and you know, the anticipation of what was going to happen next. You know, if you're – somebody who was a a big fan of the series from the start and you know you're 
reading through the second book and and then John is all of a sudden with the wildlings and you're like okay right. this is going to be a gap I have to wait for wonderful and you're being told that uh Mance is marching on the wall and now you're got to wait however many years for yeah. another book to be released well again yeah. there's still brand like I'm trying to compare it to the end of the first book where there's dragons in the world again right it spreads its wings and there's a cry that hadn't been heard like through the ages for thousands of centuries it's like the last lines of the first book like this next brand chapter has a lot to live up to for such a short man you know because how is it really going to finally end um, even though we've seen the last couple chapters have been very good at getting certain characters into positions where we want to know what happens next. And this chapter is no exception. Just to talk about Bran for a second, I mean, we haven't heard from him, mind you, since he was killed, quote unquote. So again, this is a big reveal for somebody who's reading the book for the first time and they think, you know, what's happened to Bran, even though we have the insight um, you know, from Theon, this is the first time that we're hearing from Bran, I th- I believe. Yeah, I believe so. Let's uh, get to the owns, though. All right, well, first up, I suppose it's time for my own. Uh, and it's really difficult <laughs> to kind of zero something down in a chapter with so much snow and snow-like travel. But I think it's going to have to go to their horses. Ooh. Their trusted garrons. They're snowy, they're sort of slowy, but as happened <laughs> during the cavernous passageway tour... There was a large pile of rubble where part of a roof had collapsed in, and George pointed out that they specifically were able to climb their way around this rather than turn around. So I think that they're, they're horses, which you know got the last of their food just at the very end. Who knows what really is going to happen to them? They, they had their day, they had their hour, they had their minute, and now they have their own. So congrats for your own. They make good jerky, too, from the sound of it. Oh, That's what I heard. John couldn't Mike, even keep it down. Own? So uh, my own... Uh, goes to Corin, uh, not, uh, for his, uh, honor and, uh, all those other very, uh, loyal attributes, but, uh, it goes to him for a line that he has. The paragraph starts off, the flames were burning low by then, the warmth fading. The fire will soon go out, Corin said, but if the wall should ever fall, all the fires will go out. I knew you were going to pick that. <laughs> yeah. It's an adage that, He'll, that John Snow it's will do been well passed down through the ages. It's it's haunting. It's haunting to think about all the fires going out. But it puts things right in perspective. Where they, exactly where they need to be. All John Snow needs to think about when he goes to bed at night, the next however long is with the wildlings, is the image of all the fires going out. And he has a nightmare. I mean, that's how intense this quote is from Corin. It gives him nightmares even that night of things burning to the ground and um, dead men walking and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I definitely agree. That's a good line. So are you agreeing with my own or are you giving your own? No, I'll give my own own. My own own goes to Stone Snake. The Snake of Stone. Here's a quote from uh, Corin: If any man in the Night's Watch can make it through the Fost Fangs alone and afoot, it is you, brother. Brother. <laughs> brother. Uh, <laughs> basically, Stone Snake offers to do what the other men did and kind of stay behind and fight to the death and try and take as many of them to hell. As you can, but Corrin uh, sends him off and says, "No, you've got to go." And I know you can. You're probably the best chance. His horse just died. I think broke a leg. His horse just broke a leg, which means it's no good. And uh, he said, "Look, you can go on foot. I, I believe you. You got this. I believe in you." And Stone Snake just goes off into nowhere. 
and he's one of the ones that's he's just not accounted for. The wildlings don't have his head, which means he's probably still out there somewhere. So for not getting caught, for knowing rock and moving so stealthily that your name is even Stone Snake, you know, I'm going to give you the own, sir. Yeah. Sir, how about sir, uh, Rattleshirt for taking some of Corrin's bones to add to his uh, collection? Yeah. You couldn't expect him a... not to. It was the half hand, and he is Rattleshirt, you know? <laughs> he is, considering <laughs> he is who he is. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So uh, what did the listeners have to say out in the Twitterverse about this particular chapter? Hmm. Well, we got an own from Yonatan Alexander, who tweeted at us uh, less than a day ago, saying, Corin owned John in his last chapter by saying, They warned me bastard blood was craven. Yes, that's the good line of feigned disgust. We also uh, got an own, actually it's a anti-own, from Ooh. Borden Wilson on Facebook, facebook.com backslash forward slash any slash you want, Game of Owns. Uh, trust me, it'll auto-adjust depending on what you put in. And uh, Borden has this to say, I have an anti-own for the show's writers for not including my favorite quote from the book. Our honor means no more than our lives so long as the realm is safe. Do as they bid you, but in your heart, remember who and what you are. So thank you, Borden. We're all going to uh, take on that for a moment. Taking it in, Borden. We got two owns via email. Pamela sent in, own to Quarren, uh, another in a line of truly honorable characters to go out on their own terms and take one for the team, i.e. Thorin, Sirio, Roderick. Uh, alas, dear Roderick, I loved him well. Zach truly appreciated your heartfelt own to Roderick Cassell, a memorable character, referring to previous chapter. Yeah, I miss you, Sir Yorn. I mean, Roderick. And, uh, of course, Jack McGraw, who sent us uh, a list of owns uh, a little while ago, added uh, owns for this chapter. Quarren's zing at the old Lord of Bones takes it for me here. In addition to his insightful advice, calm demeanor, and overall badassness, when him and John are finally confronted by the wildlings, he doesn't even think about being afraid. Rattleshirt, Corin called down, icy polite. To the crowd I'd be Lord of Bones. The rider's helm was made of the broken skull of a giant, and all up and down his arms bear claws, and Corin snorted, I see no lord, only a dog dressed in chicken bones who rattles when he rides. <laughs> it's true though, you gotta imagine this guy running up to you or Walking up to you, or right? What the hell was he riding? I can't even remember. It looked like a goat, a goat-like it thing. A goat. It, yeah, sounds awesome. And that's uh, what I'd be riding. Yeah, he probably looks ridiculous. At first, I thought it was going to be Matt's Raider. <laughs> it says he's the leader, but he's the leader of this group. But just the idea of Matt's Raider riding a goat would be a little too meta for me. Those are the ways, uh, of course, that you can reach us: Twitter.com/slash Game of Owns, Facebook.com/slash Game of Owns, and contact at Game of did I get them all? Yeah, those are those are the big three. Also, there's an Instagram profile that we have. It now lives. It now breathes. It now has photos and some of your likes. So please visit it at Game of Owns. Uh, I think that's how you plug Instagram stuff. Let me just try the whole the the entire URL. Uh, Instagram.com slash Game of Owns. There, I said it. Beautiful. There we go. Heart us. <laughs> yeah, heart us. Double tap with your fingertips. Come on, yep. just use your fingertips. It's not that hard. You can, of course, uh, leave us some comments over on winnerscoming.net. 
Uh, we do go through and read your comments on each and every episode. Same goes for Hypable.com. Great content being posted there on the upcoming season of Game of Thrones. So uh, you know, we will uh, take a look through there as well and uh, share any feedback that you might have. There is one other way that you can reach us, and that is on iTunes. If you'd like to write in about skeletons on there, feel free to do so. Uh, haven't had any new reviews to read uh, since last week, so uh, if you would all be so kind and you haven't done so already, even if you have done so already and want to use a different name, uh, not that we recommend that in any way, shape, or form, but by all means, if you feel compelled to do so, we will not argue, uh, but we are not also in any way, shape, or form responsible for any legal action that iTunes would take against you for trying to quote-unquote game the system. But uh, in January, as we uh, actually make our way towards the end of the month, uh, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Where things happen, we'll send eagles after you that won't stop nipping at your neck until uh, you produce a five-star review of the show. Uh, and I think that's a that's a pretty bad uh, threat, to be honest with you, because let's face it, that eagle, you didn't leave them alone. I mean, and they're endangered as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, it's not like you can fight back. Yeah, you want to go to prison? All right, this that's is serious right. business. And then you know, like Zach said, you know, if if you retaliate for uh, any reason, uh, you know, you'll go to jail, and then you'll have to deal with a big bald man named Eagle, and that's a whole other story. That, you get uh, subpoenaed. Don't yeah. get subpoenaed. Review our so. podcast. <laughs> so uh, we're ho- we're hoping that we're entertaining you uh, today. Everybody, I want you to have a nice rest of your Monday and Tuesday, and we'll see you on Wednesday for the final chapter in Clash of Kings, Brad Chapter Seven. That's pretty good, actually. That is Michael Tannenbaum, just Tannenbaum. That was Zach Lee. and that was Eric Skull. We'll see everybody on Wednesday. Will you hear us at least? Tell mom. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Take your father, I'm here. What's that? Take your father, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Uh, Take your father, I'm here. What kind of soup? It's the kind of soup that Skull has. You're not I was trying soup. to be cryptic, just like corn. Or just I, like, I got uh, you. I, I... Rattle bones. It's actually a uh, minestrone. Is your sword sharp? <laughs> yes.